Welcome to the Midtown Podcast. I am your host, Trevor, and we're going to do something a little bit different today. I, <clears throat> well, I guess first I'm going to clear my throat. Um, usually I am recording this at Tree City Church in a studio of some sorts that is soundproofed, sound treated. I wouldn't say soundproofed, sound treated. And, um, now I'm at my house and I'm just realizing how difficult it is to find quiet. Um, there's been a dog barking, an ambulance drove by, there has, uh, there's a fly that is just really, really testing uh, my patience. And so far I feel like I'm succeeding. Anyway, so I'm recording in a different place. Also, I'm not recording with anybody else. I don't prefer that. Uh, these are supposed to be conversations for curious people and conversations are really difficult to have when you're just by yourself. I am an internal and an external processor, so I'm not going to say that I've never not had a conversation with myself. Um, but this is more going to just be like a quick update, uh, and talk about some of the stuff that we have going on at our Midtown community. And also, I get to answer, maybe respond to some questions that we had recently. Uh, so yeah, let's just get into it. Okay, first of all, quick update. Midtown is this crazy, crazy big idea that I had uh, a while ago, but we're like moving forward with it. Part of it is the Midtown community, the people, and we are meeting, um, we're meeting every week we're doing some things like we've got a worship gathering that we get together. We sing some songs. We um, have, I don't know, more of a time of learning. It's not always the same thing. It's not always uh, just monologue from one person teaching, which has a place, but it's also uh, small group discussions. We're watching videos. We're, we're, we're exploring. Um, we're exploring things that matter. Uh, through hopefully through the lens of, of Jesus and, and how Jesus would respond and react and how a disciple of Jesus would respond and react to, to our current issues that we're facing every single day. Uh, but also we are, we, we also meet for just community time, get together, play games, eat ice cream, stuff like that. And then we also serve in our community, uh, trying to meet real needs We've done a, a bunch of stuff, and that's called Midtown in Action. We've got one coming up. We're going to an elementary school to put together some uh, some bookshelves and uh, just help them get this year started off right. So anyway, great stuff. And that's the church part. That's the community part, the people part. But then there is Midtown Collective, and I am actually in talks with an architecture firm, an architect firm. Uh, we were going through and looking at, at blueprints and trying to figure out what this building is going to end up looking like. And it is supposed to be a, a place for community, but especially a place for people to find purpose and community. And we're talking pretty massive coffee area, uh, midtown coffee and tea. We're talking about a venue, a multi-purpose venue that can be used for nonprofit events or um, or concerts or shows or a worship service. Um, and then looking at a place for kids to for for social and emotional learning and development and um, 
and then also Midtown Studios. So podcasting like this or a photography area, a video area, a rehearsal space for bands and possibly even tracking and stuff like that. Outside, we'd love a community garden. We would love a kitchen to be able to process and prep uh, any foods and stuff. But anyway, there's a ton of stuff that we can do with this place. And that's moving along. And I'm really, really excited about it. We've got some people that are excited about it. Um, obviously, my my brain and my energies are kind of split be, between a couple of different places. But I can see how it all it, it's all connected for me. So um, anyway, that's just a quick update on where we are with, with the building. There'll be more coming out uh, later. And also, let me tell you some fun things that we've got coming up just for midtown community for the people we've got uh we're we're looking at we're exploring some ideas so we've got um coming up next we're going to define love we want to not not like get this you know word for word and this is the way that it is for the rest of time but we just want to explore this idea of what does what is love um, what did Jesus mean when he mentioned or talked about love? What does it mean when we say God is love? Uh, there's just a, a bunch of stuff that we could explore with that. And then after that, after we we kind of get some sort of a working definition or an understanding or an idea about love, we want to ask the question, is it possible to become more loving? <laughs> if that's If this is the goal... How can we become like that? Does it happen in an instant if we say the right words and we believe the right things? Or is there something else involved in becoming more like love? Um, How do we change? How does anybody change? And uh, for the better or for the worse, I guess. And who who decides what better and worse is? (laughs) There's a ton of questions. So then after that, we're going to figure out uh, and maybe talk about what do we actually control? That is, God, that's, man, that's been a big thing for me for a long time. In fact, as I'm parenting, um, I've got a nine and a four-year-old. And so often I find myself talking to my nine-year-old and saying, hey, I know that you want to control your sister, but you can't. <laughs> you can only control yourself. And, and, and so we've got to figure out how do we control our emotions and how do we control our actions and our, our attitudes and our behaviors and all that. Uh, and not let somebody else dictate uh, wh- what we are, what we become. Anyway, that's that's going to be a fun one. So, and then all of that came from. Well, it didn't specifically come from this, but we've been in the book of John, and man, the author of John, the 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 gospel according to John, it's an incredible piece of of literature, of art, of beauty. I, man, it's, it's, um, it's got such an incredible design to it. And John really wants to persuade anybody that is reading this to believe that Jesus really is who he said he was and that life is found in him, that light 
is is he is the source of light of knowledge and we just have been discussing that but one of the things that we did was uh, so we did an introduction to the book of John and then we had a little bit of a panel discussion with my friends Bill and Joanna and just discussed like how what what are you guys gleaning from this um what's the holy spirit doing in your life as you read through um, the, the life of Jesus, according to John. And while we were doing that, we, we had uh, Slido up and people were asking questions. We didn't get to respond to all of them. So I just wanted to take a quick, quick opportunity to respond. And here's the deal. This is where I wish I had somebody else. Even, I mean, I could, my, I'm here home with my four-year-old. Maybe I should get Tay out here. And she could, we could dialogue. Uh, but yeah, I, because again, I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know everything. And I am, this is part of what Midtown is all about. I find myself in the middle so much uh, where I'm trying to see both sides of, or all sides of, of a certain issue. And I just can't, I have a limited perspective. And so I'm going to, I just, I do want to respond just because some of these were fantastic questions. And so remember all my responses really, truly coming from my own experience, from my own uh, traditions. Um, I, I, I try to use logic and reason, but then I also recognize that there is a, there's a spirit active in me and it could be a Holy spirit or it could be a selfish spirit. And so I'm trying to discern all of that when I respond to these. So here we go. And some of these questions may not make sense if you weren't a part of our gathering when we were talking and exploring the book of John, but here's one that's a little bit open-ended, I think. So one of the questions we got was, could you explore the difference between a demanding faith versus an invitational faith? What does that look like? That is interesting. I I guess for me, most faiths, I guess, are we talking about like a, a denomination or a world religion or just an, an ethic, I guess. All, all faiths are technically invitational. Uh, when they become demanding, I think that's when you're getting into like a, a cult <laughs> or, I, or not to make light of this, but also I, something that comes to mind is something like North Korea, where you're not necessarily, you don't have freedoms, uh, to believe a certain way, at least not to the inability to express your faith or your beliefs. Right. So, you know, actually going back to Mark Sayers, um, pastor in Australia, uh, one of the things that he has said, which has really, really been made a huge impact on my life, is that human flourishing exists when we have three, I don't know, spiritual reservoirs filled in our lives, uh, a reservoir of freedom, the ability to choose right and wrong and to live that out, um, a reservoir of community and a reservoir of purpose. And so... Uh, but just sticking on that freedom part, this is something I think that, well, at least I know I take for granted in, in America daily, the ability to express my beliefs, 
And I think that that is something that's really, really powerful, but it's also created some incredible tension and just conflict even in America, right? Like I believe this, but this other group believes this and you know, we can't, (laughs) we can't coexist peacefully because of our different beliefs or the inability again to, to express those beliefs. Because I think there's a difference. Belief, to me, is very internal. Uh, and But then, how do you express that belief? It's through your actions and through your words. So again, in a sense, I mean, faith technically is invitational. You can believe whatever you want. Uh, and, and ultimately, I think this is where, at least for me, reading through the Bible, and especially through the Gospels, Jesus... The way of Jesus is an invitation. Jesus invites everybody into a way of of living, but he doesn't demand it. Jesus doesn't have a ton of commands. I'm not at least I don't read those. What I what I read when I'm reading through the gospel accounts is Jesus basically like telling you how the world works. You know, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. No one can serve two masters. They will either love one and hate the other, or they'll despise one and they'll, they'll follow the other. This is kind of interesting. I've been reading C.S. Lewis again, Mere Christianity, and C.S. Lewis talks about um, natural law used to be more in the spiritual mythos realm, but then as, as science progressed, uh, it became more of a scientific phrase, the natural laws, like uh, the idea of gravity or energy or things like that. But what I, what I read from Jesus is basically him saying, you know, here are the natural laws of the world. The, the, the meek will inherit the earth. The poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say you should be poor in spirit or you should be meek or you should serve one another. Even if you go to, you know, in John, we just got through chapters one through 12. If you go to chapter 13, now Jesus begins his last, man, really, really powerful um, group of teachings to his disciples in the upper room. And one of the things that he says is when he washes their feet, it's this beautiful, beautiful scene that you see. Jesus washes all of his disciples' feet, which is just this incredible act of service and of, of, of humility. And when he's done, he says, I have given you an example. Like that is invitational. I've given you an example. You now serve others. <laughs> now wash other people's feet. And so for me, I guess... I'm exploring this by myself, which I don't love, but the idea of a demanding faith, that does not, that's, that doesn't seem like the way of Jesus. That seems like the way of humans. That seems like it's the way that we, that we do it. A demanding faith feels like there's some sort of a power structure, which, you know, we can't get away from, but, but that the, that whoever's on the top is demanding that you act this way. They're trying to control your behavior. Um, but anyway, I, I think just when it comes to faith, that that's at least what I see is Jesus has this incredible invitation to, to follow him in light, in knowledge, in wisdom, you know, seek for that from him. And then life happens when we do that. 
it's not that life is void of all suffering and pain and hardship, but it's just that we can experience life through following Jesus, uh, you know, and that our relationships will be better because of it. Anyway, um, here's the next one. Uh, let's see. Power of political church and also the power and culture. Who sinned as parents of this man? Was it was a big statement about the current culture and disability. So it looks like we have a little bit of dialogue going on in Slido. Oh, because right before that, somebody asks, what do you think the significance is of Jesus riding in the dirt? Oh, for me, I've heard a ton of things, a, a ton of different perspectives. Um, and when I say ton, what does that mean? I don't know. I've heard many different perspectives. All the perspectives together, you put it on a scale and it equals a ton. Um, no, I've heard this was giving Jesus time to think and process. I have heard uh, Jesus might have been writing down sins <laughs> of the people that were there. Uh, I've heard maybe Jesus was starting to write the law. Um, and all of a sudden, the people that want to condemn this person uh, for sinning, and they're going to they're gonna try to stone her, Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And so he's writing something. And so, um, man, the significance of that, I don't know. Maybe, you know, John, John doesn't typically put something in that, that isn't significant. So there must be something there. I think, I think though, the significance of that whole story is, is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus' nature, uh, his response. You know, he, I often find him in the middle. So to the people that are condemning, he says, okay, yeah. So if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And obviously they all leave. But then to the woman afterwards, is there anybody left here to condemn you? All right. No, neither do I. But also don't sin anymore. Um, go and sin no more. Again, we probably have to, uh, I, I want to talk about sin too. Chatar, hamartia. The idea of missing the mark, I would love, you know what? That's probably a series that we need to look up. Just like defining sin too. Um, anyway, okay. So I didn't really answer the the significance. Uh, I, I, I quite honestly, I don't know. Um, I've got ideas. I, 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 there's a part of me that just resonates with the idea that Jesus was just taking time to allow people to answer their own <laughs> <laughs> their own questions. So, all right, let's move on. This next question will be interesting because if you weren't a part of our discussion, it, you might lose it a little bit, but like uh, we were talking about Jesus healing the blind man. And at the beginning of that whole, that whole story, somebody asks the question, Hey, who sinned this man or his parents for him to be blind? But the question from that the question that we got from that is, it's, it, our culture keeps those with disabilities marginalized. So what misconceptions do we have in our culture that continue to marginalize those with disabilities? What misconceptions do we have in our culture that continue to marginalize those with disabilities? Okay, my response to this, oh, this needs to be, this is really personal for me on a whole different uh, uh, on many different levels. Um, I just got back actually from the Camino de Santiago, walking it with my friends, Justin and Patrick. Um, Justin is in a wheelchair. 
and Patrick pushed him the f- 500 miles across the Camino de Santiago in northern Spain uh, a while ago, 2014, and they um, they since then have done these things called accessible Caminos, where other people who have seen their documentary or read their books and also have disabil- uh, some sort of a disability, they would like to do it as well. So I got to go with them in 2019. We had 10 other people in wheelchairs and, uh, and one who was visually impaired. And we got to go, uh, for the last hundred and I don't know, what is it? 117 kilometers, um, along with some other people that helped push and pull and guide and all that stuff. And so, and then I got to go in 2022, uh, two trips, just, just got back from them. We did the French way and then we did the Portuguese way. And, and so I think what I want to say is, for this first comment, it is a little bit suggestive that the our culture keeps those with disabilities marginalized. Um, some of some people, if they hear that, may disagree with that. I probably would have not completely disagreed with it, but I don't know that I would have said a, a strong statement like that when I was like maybe, maybe in 20, 2014, 2013. 15 before I met Justin and Patrick. Uh, and now I would say, you know, is it, is it willful that we're keeping people with disabilities marginalized? And and what does that look like? It, does it look like the same that it was in Jesus time? Like, do we really have people that are saying who sinned this person or their, or their parents that this person would have a disability? You know, I, I think maybe some people would hear that and be like, no, nobody says that anymore. However, uh, in 2019, I met an incredible person who changed my life forever. And I got to walk with her a lot on the Camino. You got a lot of time to walk and talk. And I got to hear her story and how she got it even in a, into a wheelchair, like the, the reason that she's in a wheelchair. And it's... She, it's incredible that she's even still alive, but I'm so grateful that she is. She's had a huge impact on me, on her family, on people, on the community that she's a part of, and just the world. The world is a better place because of her. It was a better place because of her no matter what. Like what she was doing before was incredible. Um, is her life just as easy? Nope. Uh, nope. Uh, no. <laughs> it's just not... And I think this is the thing, if you have or know somebody and you get to live life with someone who who does have a disability, you can see that there seems to be just kind of an unawareness in in culture of of the struggle to try to navigate uh, a city or or a store or anything with a disability. If, If it's not thought through, if there's not ramps, if there isn't an elevator, if there isn't, um, certain people to help, you know, like it's just really, it's just really interesting. It is true that the world kind of revolves around and, and is built around this idea that everybody has the same gifts and abilities. And so that's just not the case. So, so as far as our culture, keeping people marginalized, um, yeah, we've, we've got some work to do. We've got some awareness to bring for sure. But now I think the theological implications that we're getting to here. Uh, going back to my friend who I met in 2019, 
she is not in a church for probably a few reasons, but one of the main reasons is because of the things that were said to her and the way that she was treated by a church community. So if you're asking, you know, me the question that, or like, or maybe making that statement, that doesn't happen anymore. People aren't, people don't say those kinds of things. Yes, to her, they did. If you had more faith, you could get out of that chair. If you just, if you actually had faith in Jesus who performed all these miracles and signs, he would, God would do the same thing for you. And it hasn't happened. And believe me, she told me like, this is, here's all the prayers that were prayed. Here's the things that were done. And even more on a personal note, I guess I would say this too. Uh, some of you know, my wife and I, we can't have biological children. And it has to do more with the fact that my wife, in fact, it's, it's a miracle that she is alive. She had an incredible uh, surgery done when she was eight months old and they had to remove, the doctors had to remove um, a, a tumor, which also they had to take the, her left kidney and the left side of her reproductive system out. And so that's made it obviously a challenge and quite honestly, uh, impossible for us to have biological children. And so from me, I can tell you the prayers that have been prayed and the things that have been said to us in a church setting that, you know, that if we had faith and somebody laid hands on Jamie's (laughs) stomach in front of me and prayed for her womb to open and with faith, well-intentioned, it seems like, but, uh, it does still happen. And we, and it feels like, you know, this is where I want to tread delicately. I've also heard of stories of, of incredible things happening with people that had cancer and then they didn't have cancer, you know, and the doctors say this, but this is what happened. And there are, and I, and I, so I'm not saying that, that, that can't happen, but I think that there is a difference between prescribing and describing we have a a particular story, Jamie and I do, but I'm not going to prescribe that story to everyone. Like I would tell you that adoption is absolutely incredible. And we have, (laughs) we have two, I don't know if you want to call them miracles. Uh, they seem like it to us. And so I guess what I want to say is, um, I think that the people in that day, it seems like this is my response to this question. Okay. Remember that this is just me top of my head and my gut and all of my experience, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it it seems like they are prescribing something to this person that, that the only, that the reason that, that anybody has a disability is because of sin. It's because somebody did something wrong. Right. And that if you had faith, then you would be healed. Uh, now this person is healed and Jesus heals them and it, and Jesus does it for a different reason. He says, it's not because anybody sinned. It's so that the glory of God can be revealed. And I think that again, now, if you do a simple reading of that, you want to prescribe that scenario to all disabilities. Okay. That like, because Jesus did it in this instance, then Jesus will do it for everyone. 
But that's just not the case. Like, at least for me, when I read through scripture, there are a whole lot of people that aren't healed. In fact, there's a story in Matthew where Jesus has to walk over a group of people that all have disabilities to one person to say to them, do you want to be healed? Well, what about all the others, Jesus? And why do people have to come to you? You know, in fact, there's sometimes when Jesus doesn't go, when the soldier, when the centurion comes and says, you know, would you kill my daughter? Go home. Your daughter's well. Uh... And the guy's like, are you sure? And he goes, yeah. And, they go, and sure enough, he goes home and says, hey, when did this happen? And they, they confer. It was the time that Jesus said it. So sometimes Jesus, so if that's the case, Jesus, if you don't even have to go, why did you have to go where, like to Lazarus? Why didn't you just say it? Martha even says that. Like if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. So, so even the idea of trying to prescribe a way that Jesus heals even just within scripture, like one way that Je- like that Jesus goes about this, it that you can't even do that in scripture. There's so many different ways that Jesus shows up and that Jesus um, handles every situation. So I think maybe that's one thing that I would say in response to this idea of the misconceptions. Like what are the misconceptions that we have in culture that continue to marginalize those with disabilities? And I'm going from more of a theological, from a spiritual realm. It's... Um, if somebody shows up with a disability in your church to try to prescribe a healing that you've seen happen in somebody else to them. Oh, I, man, I just, that, that makes me nervous. And also the doubt and the despair and the absolute like mistrust that can happen after that. If something doesn't happen, I just don't think it has to do with the faith, like with the level of faith um, with how much somebody believes something, because what I could tell you from personal experience, from personal experience is that, uh, our inability to have biological, biological children has not, uh, affected our ability to parent and hasn't affected the amount of joy that we have um, when we get to have family nights with our kids and it hasn't affected, um, the, the pain and the difficulty of, <laughs> of parenting. Um, so I guess that is the main misconception that I would love to help is that if, if you still feel like, if somebody still feels like that, if somebody has a disability that they are less than or that God hasn't shown up in their life or something like that. I just don't believe that at all. And in fact, I just want to leave you with one more story and then we'll be done with this. The idea of so that God's glory can be shown or be revealed. That's that statement. Going back again to 2019, there was someone on the trip, uh, on the Camino, that was visually impaired, basically could not see and had been this way for quite a long time. And they had a guide who would walk arm in arm with them and would obviously point out vocally, uh, point out some of the challenges, like there's rocks here. There's a, there's a cliff to your left, (laughs) things like that. So obviously pointing out danger, But more than that, when I got to walk next to them, the guide made, helped me see differently. 
because they were explaining to the person who was visually impaired, they were explaining the scene like over to your left, off of your left, there is this huge field of tall grass and it's kind of, and it looks like this green ocean because it's waving in the wind. And beyond that, there's a line of trees and then it dips down into this valley and there's these beautiful houses, all most of them with red tops. And I can, and then the other person who was visually impaired was saying like, I can hear the children playing. You know, I can hear the tractor going through the village. And then she would say, and on your right over here, it slopes up. And then there's a little bit of a mountain on the side and the sun is hitting on this direction and the shadows are falling this way. Like they helped me see differently. I was taking for granted all this stuff. And yet when I, when I just walked with them and listened for a while, I got to see differently this is what Justin has done for me. This is what Jamie has done for me because of our adoption story. I am getting to see life from, from different perspectives because of, I guess, what we would call disabilities. Maybe there would be another word for that, but, um, but that's maybe the misconception. Don't ever think that somebody is less than. They are different. They have a different and incredible perspective in life and God's glory can be revealed in many different ways. And I'm not ready to prescribe one way that God's glory is revealed. So, all right, there are still some other <laughs> questions that we could get to, but, uh, per the huge, I, when I externally process, I go, I can go for a while. So man, uh, th thank you for sticking in with this one. Uh, got some really, really exciting things coming up. Defining love. Can we become more like love? What do we actually control? Uh, and as always, man, if you can ask questions or if you want to be a part of the Midtown community, if you're in and around this area, it's, it's getting cool, man. It's getting cool. We're still small, but that actually makes it <laughs> better to know people and get a chance to talk with people with different perspectives and man, such a cool community that is is happening right now so i hope you have a great day and i hope you make somebody else's day great too talk to you later